There was this old abandoned house near my neighborhood. It was a nice quaint little house, and it honestly looked very peaceful. One night, my friends and I decided to break in and see what was in there. When we got inside, we climbed in through a backyard window because the front door was blocked shut. There was nothing really out of the ordinary. There was a bunch of crap all over the floor, so much that it was hard to even walk around, like chairs, a piano, and some old dolls. There were also a bunch of old books and newspaper articles dating back to the 1920s and 30s. I read some of them, but I can't remember what they were about. The architecture of the house was really dated, and it was obvious it was built a long time ago. Maybe early 1900s. Anyway, we went to explore the basement, but we couldn't get there because the stairs leading down were destroyed. The first step was intact as well as the last few before reaching the bottom, but all the steps in between were gone, leaving a giant gap. So we said screw it and left. The next night we went back with more people. Everything in there was the same except the stairs. This time there was a ladder laid over them. The ladder acted like a makeshift bridge over the gap where all the steps were missing. The rungs of the ladder were like the steps themselves. This wasn't all that creepy as we figured someone else must have come in to explore and laid the ladder there so they could get to the basement. We even used the ladder to get down and explore the basement ourselves. After that, we left. The next night, we went back again. Again, everything was the same, except the stairs. This time, they weren't broken. There was no gap. All the stairs were there every single step. The ladder that had been laid over the gap was against the wall in another room. Now this was creepy as hell because if someone had come in to fix those stairs, they would have looked new. But they didn't. They looked old. Like those were the steps that had been there since the house was built over a hundred years ago. Like they had never been broken to begin with. They were cracked and discolored and moldy, but it was still a functioning staircase. I know for a fact no one could have come in and fixed those stairs because the front door was still blocked shut, and there was too much crap in the way for anyone to be able to bring tools inside. Also, if someone did fix them, how did they make it look like the steps had aged decades overnight? Those were old steps that had been there for a long time which was impossible. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. And this is Ghoul Intentions. Yay! Yay! He's like a cheerleader. <laughs> Yay, Ghoul Intentions. <laughs> I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. And this is Ghoul Intentions. Hey, hey. Get <laughs> naked. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Did you ever do that cheer? G-E-T-N-A-K-E-D-G-N-A-K-E-D-N-A-K-E-D-G-N-A-K-E-D-G-N-A-K-E-D-G-N-A-K-E-D-G-N-A-K-E-D-G-N-A-K-E-D-G-
No, just kidding. Don't. This is a half bath. It's weird. Don't make it weird. Yeah, uh, yeah don't uh, make it weird. That's... <laughs> that's a great sign. Your house your house has such a great warm sense of humor. It's like all the home sweet home decor, but if you look closely, it's really like, <laughs> it's like, relax, motherfucker. Like, it's yeah. still like that. Or like there's, like, there's this really fun picture, and then you look at it, and you're like, that's not a camel with glasses. That's a penis. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like in the corner, you're like, is that death sitting in the corner? Shit it death. sure is. It sure is. He hangs Just, out. He's a friend. It's very homey, but then you look around and it's like, hmm. That's just a way of saying, home sweet home, I hope to die here someday. That's right. Uh, uh, one of my favorite signs says, don't meddle with dragons, for you are crunchy and taste good with ketchup. <laughs> that was good. I like that one. But it's it's on those like farmhouse type signs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a, like like an old like, bit of fencing or something that's been painted like that. Yeah, yeah it's really, I don't like the really like fun. normal ones. I don't yeah. want it to say like farmhouse, which I think is stupid. Like, why is it the signs that say farmhouse are never on a fucking farmhouse? It's like <laughs> you live in Plano, dude. Like, that's not a farmhouse. <laughs> there hasn't been a farm here since the white people came. That's right. <laughs> You're uh, the problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, so I feel like we have a long episode today. So I feel we, like we should get started. We do. We do. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Alexis Tipton, for reading yes. our cold open. You may She's recognize so Alexis from our third episode where yeah. she told some of her ghost stories. If you haven't, go back to the third episode. It's so She's good. She's pretty great in that. She's one of our favorite uh, guests ever. Yeah. And that, and that And that creepy story about the stairs uh, <laughs> came from uh, Creepy Stories Reddit. And uh, <laughs> I just, I think I was drawn to it because the username was Hugh Jess. <laughs> <laughs> that I love like, it. That's, that's a good way to get noticed. That's a winner. Yeah. Uh, what I love, too, is that we didn't really have anybody prepared to do the reading. And because we I totally t- we dropped had the a ball. Zoom call for Brandon's birthday. And we were talking about, hey, you know, because we had a lot of voice actors on there. It's like, if you're interested, let us know, blah, blah, blah. And um, and then <laughs> Alexis was there and she ended up doing it just because she was there. She was, was like, I'll like, do it. And she yes. did it. She did it like fucking 30 minutes. Like I like yeah. I found the story and gave it to her. She's like, yeah, yeah, I can have that to you by tomorrow. She had it like to me in 30 minutes. I was like, thank right. you, God, because I totally forgot. I love it. I was so bad Yay. about dropping the ball about that because I've technically I, I kind of put myself in charge and I don't know why because I shouldn't be in charge of anything. I love it. It's of doing the cold opens, right but now. you know it's nice to have it. So I think we'll we'll get some more. We have some other guests to read the cold opens uh, cold opens lined up for the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. So be sure to to keep an ear out. You'll probably yes. recognize them. So what's our what's our title today? Jamie? Well, our title, of course, is um, it's well. I don't know why I said of course. That doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> Next, but it, it is a suggestion from our Patreon. Uh, patron, Mr. Kestrel. Uh, yes. He is a listener from Scotland. Yeah. And we uh. enjoy having him on the chats whenever we have him on the chats. Uh, he has uh, suggested this title. It's from Mistborn Trilogy by Brandon Sanderson. Oh, Brandon. Then, Brandon, My Brandon loves Brandon Sanderson. He's been reading yeah. like a lot of his stuff in the past. During, oh, really? He's been entering quarantine. It's been like the Brandon Sanderson quarantine hour. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, the title is More Than the Chaos, which felt Ooh. appropriate. But Ooh. the quote 
is the life of a person is more than the chaos of its passing. Ah. Right. And uh, part of that is, of course, your story. I think it applies. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, but it also yeah. very much applies to my story that we'll get into oh, in a little while. But first, I don't know, I I don't know what you're doing. I'm dying to know the rest okay. of your story. Okay, because, okay, so, so a quick recap from last week. Fox Hollow Farms uh, in Westfield, Indianapolis, or Indiana, just outside of Indianapolis, was the site of a presumed serial killer. We don't know because uh, the presumed serial murderer. Uh, Herb Baumeister killed himself before he could be brought to trial or, in fact, even arrested. So it's just assumed, however, because I there were, because there, were because there were a lot of bones found, uh, and and the mo was pretty similar. And there's a gentleman by the name of Tony Harris who who kind of dated him for a little while. That kind of got the well. Let's go listen to the original story. It's too much to recap because I've got so much more to say. Ah, exciting. So, uh, you know, Fox Hollow Farm, for those of you that uh, don't remember from last week, it was bought in uh, the mid-2000s, I think about 2006, and they moved in in 2009 by Robert Graves and his wife, Vicky. Now, it had been pretty much empty since uh, the since Baumeister's wife, uh, Jane, had sold the place shortly after Herb's death. And I think some guy, I think he ran a vineyard, bought it and was going to subdivide the lot. Didn't work out. So it sat empty for 20 years. And then finally the, the Graves bought it and kept it up. And they kept it, uh, it's important to note, that it's pretty much the way it looked in the Baumeister's time. But about the Baumeister family is not the family that built the farm. They bought it from someone else. So it had uh, has a whole history before them. Uh, just Baumeister happens to be the most grisly because, you know, serial murder. So he bought the farm and then he bought the farm. Then he bought the ooh. <laughs> but the haunting is complicated because there's so many components to it, which we're going to get into today. Now, we left off last week with uh, a lot of the hauntings were centering around a tenant uh, who was a friend and co-worker of Robert Graves named Joe LeBlanc, who lived in the mother-in-law's quarters, an apartment above the garage, and he had a lot of shit happen to him. Well, now we're going to fast forward a little bit to November of 2016 when... Uh, uh, with Robert Graves' blessing, seasoned paranormal investigator Richard Estep assembled a six-person team and set out to see what they could see at Fox Hollow Farm. Now, Robert Graves has kind of, and his wife Vicky have become accustomed to. They've had a lot of people come and investigate. They frequently give tours just for free. I, they don't. They don't make any money oh, off that's of this. Nice. Um, they just kind of do it to kind of keep people from trespassing, I guess, because they're like, hey, if we just open it up and let people come when we're when we have you know like people show up. They don't do it like all the time, but you can like call them and write them up, and they'll be like, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, and I think that's just to kind of keep trespassers at bay. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you might as well. Because <laughs> right. when they first moved in, they had a lot of people just kind of show up, wander around their property because they wanted to see the serial murder site. Uh, you know, dark tourism. And they were like, what the fuck? So anyway, uh, this Richard Estep guy who wrote, uh, along with Robert Graves, the book that uh, um, all this information comes from, The Haunting of Fox Hollow Farm. Faharm? Faharm? The Haunting of Fox em Hollow Farm. <laughs> Emphasis on harm. <laughs> well, um, so... <laughs> Uh, Richard Estep and uh, his team were uh, come from Hol Colorado Springs, and uh, 
They were pretty eclectic. Now, every time he does an investigation, Epstep puts together a different paranormal group. Like, he's got some of his regulars, but he adds new people, and other people can show up. It's kind of like a cast for a play, you know? It's There's some regulars, and then new people come and go. So, but in this case, uh, he had some members that were more technically oriented, and others were more spiritual oriented. So it's a nice balance. Some were more psychically sensitive. Others were more scientifically minded and skeptical. Uh, one team member, for example, was a former Air Force pilot named Sean, who uh, claimed to be prone to psychic impressions. He had quite a time at Fox Hollow Farm, as we'll see. Mm. Uh, But anyway, after the team flew into Indianapolis in November of 2016, um, their drive from their hotel uh, to Fox Hollow Farm was impinged by some of the worst weather that area had seen in several years. Um, No sooner had they reached the outskirts of Westfield than the skies just opened up on them. And Estep... um, the thought entered his mind that they almost missed the turn into Fox Hollow Farm. And as they they, they sort of backtrack and found it again, and they're going up the drive, and they see this massive Tudor mansion on this 18 acres of land. And the first thought that entered Estep's head was, horror movies take place in locations like this. <laughs> and so he's like, and he's trying yeah. to be objective. We're like, I'm not trying to, I don't want to, I don't know anything's going to happen. I don't know it's haunted. I'm an investigator. I've got to be, I've got to be open-minded, but I've got to be skeptical as well. So he was, it was, and every member of the team was like, it was rough trying to keep, <laughs> trying to keep a level head because this place has such an energy to it. Now, I should admit that this was 2016. So it had been several years since Joe LeBlanc, uh, had had his experiences in the apartment, the mother-in-law's quarters above the garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had mm-hmm. since he had since moved out, and uh, Robert Graves. <laughs> Why? I don't. I know. Well, but interestingly enough, Robert Graves gave the apartment to his oldest son, <laughs> who had a few <laughs> of his own experiences, nothing of the caliber that Joe experienced. But we'll get into what the Graves boy. Uh, saw and heard a little bit, but um, you'll be happy to know nothing quite as traumatic it seems as Joe <laughs> endured. Right. But, yeah. So Robert, you know, Graves welcomed the team in, gave them the grand tour, and then they were going to retire for the night because the team was going to be working through the wee hours. Um, what's interesting is that in the time since they'd been living there since 2009 and now it's 2016, they just kind of become acclimated to the restless spirits and like, yeah, it happens, but meh, meh, whatever. Uh, they're very nonchalant about the whole thing. <laughs> they're like, yeah, it's, you know, they, uh, they I sort would think of, you would have to be to even move in to that place. Well, and something that Robert Graves talks about a lot in the book, because he co-wrote it, uh, was how distracted just the business of running that place keeps you. So he's like, you mm. spend so many hours a day, tending the land, uh, you know, keeping up, making repairs. I mean, the work is never done. So the haunting sometimes takes a back seat because you've got other shit on your mind. Um, Anyway, so the team, they set up for the night and they kind of made the downstairs area their base of operations, the large kind of downstairs uh, uh, sort of living room, if you like. But they they focused for their first, they were going to be there for three nights. And uh, they focused on their first night on the pool area because that was, of course, where the... some, if not all, of the murders or uh, murders are presumed to have taken place, and um, you know, and it's indoor, so it was nice because <laughs> it yeah, was right. <laughs> fucking November in Indianapolis, so it's chilly outside. So. They, and they had a range of equipment. They used uh, static cameras, video cameras, EMF meters, thermometers, laser grids, which is really cool, air ionization meters for some reason, uh, mm. motion sensors, and of course a spirit box, which is the only piece of equipment I disagree with because I think it's bullshit, but it can be fun. <laughs> I just think it's whatever. It's just a fucking, it's, da. Ah, it's, eh. Anyway, but the laser <laughs> grid 
was set up on a tripod at one end of the pool, and the pool was flanked by a number of cameras that were kept going. Now, at some point during the night, as a team member was checking the camera batteries, because any paranormal investigator would tell you that batteries are the bane of their existence because of how prone they are to just fucking die, even if they're fresh out of the pack. So they have yeah. to constantly be checked. Um, so this guy, this paranormal investigator, was checking the batteries, and he... Uh, caught sight of this shadowy figure breaking multiple laser beams as it darted back and forth at the far end of the pool near the windows facing into the backyard. Now, the figure was caught on camera. So this guy's like, hey, guys, we, we got look at this. And so they looked at the footage and they could clearly see this figure breaking the, the, the beams. And it looked tall. It looked like a person, not an animal. And so they were they kind of put their heads together and they thought, OK, well, is it what side of the glass is it on? Is it in here with us or is it out there? Is it a, is it a potential prowler? And so they uh, sent one of their members outside to kind of recreate it and they, and they finally, they determined that, yeah, this is someone outside walking back and forth. So they're thinking, is it just someone trespassing? Is it one of the Graves kids fucking with us? Which they found unlikely because all of them were accounted for. And the, the idea of a prowler coming out here in the middle of this horrible fucking storm mm -hmm. in, in this cold weather seemed unusual. And this would not be the last time they found this. They saw Saw this figure. Well, after this little moment, uh, next several hours passed without incident. And but Sean, when casing the pool area again on one of his rounds, he kind of felt this peculiar something in kind of the, where the seating area is, like the, the table and chairs on one end near the bar in the pool room and the indoor pool room. And he was like, "We should do an EVP session here. Something tells me." And so they set up a little bit. Nothing came of that, but. While the team was sitting there kind of talking and just seeing what they could get on tape, uh, two team members saw the shadow again, only this time it was moving at the base of the net, which was over the pool itself. And at the same time, the temperature dropped significantly uh, and the camera batteries, all of them, despite being fresh out of the goddamn pack, died at once. Uh, so they had to break out the, I mean, like that's, they will tell you that, uh, Esta goes out of his way to be like, yeah, this is the batteries are the most, uh, expensive part about being a paranormal <laughs> investigator because you have to spend some, I mean, you have to come with a small store's worth of batteries just to keep the investigation going all night. Just, I mean, because for some reason the batteries will drain in the blink of a fucking eye, even if they're fresh out of the pack and they're, they're, you can charge them, see that they're charged up and then suddenly out of nowhere, poof, they're just gone. Um, yeah. So... Uh, so the figure, they saw the figure, but they couldn't catch it on on uh, on camera, the one that they saw under the net in the pool, but they were like, that's kind of weird. And they definitely were all kind of getting this feeling that the pool area was like where they ought to be. Well, so Richard Estep had this brilliant idea of like, maybe we can kind of uh, tease the spirits out a little more by playing some 90s club music. Because, <laughs> you, know, right, yeah. you know, presumably what, what Baumeister and, and his victims, may they rest in peace, would have been into. So they were playing like, uh, <laughs> you know, Donna Summer and stuff like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it takes me back. Right. Um, so, I'll, I'll uh, appear. So again, they didn't really catch anything, but... They did see a glimpse of the shadow uh, prowler again flitting through the backyard. What's interesting about that instance is they had a camera facing that way. Well, had a couple cameras, actually, thermal imaging cameras facing the backyard at that point just to see if they could catch this figure after they'd seen it earlier in the night. And um, despite them having seen all of them, like the whole team was down there at the moment, like all six of them, and they saw this figure through the window uh, traipsing through the backyard, they then checked the thermal imaging cameras they had trained on that area, and nothing showed up on camera. Oh, Again, ruling out the prowler thing. 
Later that night, sitting near the pool with their backs to the door, Richard and one other team member were just kind of shooting the shit, and they heard someone jiggle the handle to the room, the door handle to the room behind them, and they thought, oh, it's one of our team members, like, it's unlocked, and then they, nothing happened, so they went to check the door, and no one was there. Um, Sean himself, the sensitive, felt a sinister male presence in the locker room of the indoor pool, something he described as, quote, completely negative in nature and extremely threatening. And whatever it was, he said, most certainly did not want them there. Uh, At one point, the Graves family dog was found unaccountably wandering the downstairs area where it wasn't allowed after dark because they had gates up. Um, And one member heard someone or something sigh twice near the basement staircase. Uh, Someone asked whether or not the presence was comfortable with a woman being in the home, and Sean insisted he clearly heard a whispered yes in response. So (laughs) nice to know that the ghost was, you know, uh, all for equality. Right. Um, the door to the changing room refused to stay shut, and they would close it, and they'd come back a few minutes later, and it would be fucking open. And they checked it out. It was hung correctly. It's not like the door. I mean, it, they would close it, and it would latch, but it would refuse to fucking stay shut. Um, so that, that in some total, was kind of their first night. They saw some shadows. They, they heard some voices. They felt some feelings, but then they decided to call <laughs> it. You know, they felt some feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but they all agreed that the place definitely was pretty active. It was just hard to catch any of this on on uh, camera or tape recorder, but that would change. So the next mm. night, uh, they came back and they were determined uh, to use more esoteric methods. The first night had been all about like more science, technical stuff. This time they decided, why don't we try some more traditional kind of, uh, you know, s- uh, spoopy <laughs> methods. <laughs> so they tried uh, this method, which I think is fascinating. It's the human pendulum method. Now it's like mm. uh, it's like the pendulum that you've you've held a pendulum in your hand and like to kind of supposedly you know your your subconscious mind or whatever presence in there will help will move it in certain directions once you've established like swinging left to right means yes or back forwards means no whatever human pendulum is a little more complicated and a little more interesting. Uh, because there's a control to the experiment. Uh, basically, a person acts as the pendulum, and they are blindfolded often, uh, and they are and they're 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 given earplugs, and they're facing away from the investigators asking the questions, so they right. can't see or get any input to know and or even know when a question is being asked. And then they're put in a room that's active. Um, in this case, they were put in the pool. And they're supposed to, you know, their bodies will kind of lean unconsciously one way or the other, depending on the the answers that have been set. And so they, they I've tr- seen that happen too with a uh, with the ghost boxes, which I know yeah. are controversial. But uh, <laughs> people will will have headphones on and not know what's happening and just say the words that they hear. And that sometimes can be really that, interesting. That, that is interesting. Yeah. I, when a spirit box is used like that, I tend to think there's a little more to it. But nine times out of ten, it's just you're just playing, you know, a randomizer that's going through radio wave links and you're, you're catching just shitty bits of <laughs> AM radio right. shows. Well, it's kind of like two EVPs. It's like, nah, nah, nah. right. It's like, OK, right. well, but you can't right. say that means, you know, go to hell. Like, yeah, you just hear, of, like, you're just hearing like EVPs broad phenomes is like. Yeah, well, and EVPs, too, everybody wants to know exactly what is said, and I understand that desire, but the fact of the matter is if you can hear a voice, something's there. That's the interesting part, not necessarily that they're saying get out or whatever creepy things they usually want them to have been saying. Well, well and, and that's why, like, an EVP, whether you can make out what the, what it's saying or not, like, an EVP that's just caught on a tape recorder when there's no one present to be making that sound, you know, and you can tell it's right. not the person, whatever, uh, that's 
doing the recording, that's more compelling. The spirit box method literally just scans radio frequencies and occasionally will will pick up a word that's being said by a DJ somewhere in, in mm-hmm. radio land. So it's or not a song or, or a yeah. song. And so the thinking is that, you know, it's not you're not hearing a ghost speaking. It's just the ghost is using what's available to try to, you know, like almost like we would use magnetic poetry on a fridge. And, <laughs> you know, and so it's less impressive to me because there's too much randomness. And of course, you know, what's the phrase? You get a thousand monkeys together uh, typing and eventually they'll produce the works of Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> That's true. Well, and also, it's like, uh, if that happens, that is a lot to ask a ghost to do. Yeah, the ghost like, is like, Jesus, I don't. Just to talk. Yeah, especially. <laughs> no, no, no. What we want you to do is uh, <laughs> go through the radio and you make sure you choose words. So you're going to have to know what all the stations are saying all the time. <laughs> Meanwhile, the ghost of Benjamin Franklin is, what the fuck is a radio? <laughs> um, but I guess some of the idea is that they're actually using the frequency to to yeah, actually talk. Like that some, and that to yeah, me is more interesting yeah. than like it's just the psychic ghosts using the spirit. I don't. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it's so it, it, the problem with trying to communicate with spirits is first of all we don't know exactly what spirits are. There's a lot of different mm-hmm. interpretations as to what they are and how much power they have to communicate with us. Right. We don't I mean, know. We've what already the... talked about. We don't know that everybody has the same powers, a la the bureaucracy from <laughs> Beetlejuice. Like we know, and we've accept that as a reality. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so there's just too much. There's too much at play um, for that to be. But it can still, you know, it's like like a tarot reading. You know, it's not like the cards themselves. Um, you know, answer your question so much as they, you know, the well, they do and they don't. It's it's more complicated than that. It's like the symbols are so potent. Uh, with meaning that in any combination, it will force you to think about what you've asked it in a way that you will make the meaning out of it that's necessary. And that, and in that way, um, you know, you've come into insight. It's it's the randomness that makes it interesting, but it's not necessarily that there's some other intelligence manipulating the cards to talk to you. I mean, it may be, it may not, but mm-hmm. I, it's it's. It, it's communication with spirits is a dodgy business because it's right. it relies too much on your own psychology and when that's the case it's hard to know you know who's you know who's moving the planchette you know is right. it your is it your unconscious desire or is it a spirit so anyway uh, so back to the human pendulum method where they're using in the pool the second night yes. of their investigation um, they were trying it, you know, they had a guy sitting in the middle of the pool with, you know, with headphones on or not headphones, but earplugs in and a blindfold. And, and honestly, and to their credit, Epstein does, uh, uh, not Epstein, Estep, uh, Richard Estep, the, the head investigator, like they didn't, he admits like, we didn't really have much success with that method. Like we were asking questions, but nothing really seemed to align and whatever. But while they were conducting this session, Sean, the Air Air Force guy, felt fingers playfully caressing his hand. Mm. And lest we think Sean is just a drama queen, uh, another member (laughs) of the team named Aaron, who is more scientifically minded, uh, was outright pushed down by unseen hands. Rude. Yeah, very rude. So uh, adding another wrinkle to the second evening, Joe LeBlanc was asked to join the team that night, and and he showed up a little later in the evening. Now, his experiences on Fox Hollow Farm, which we've covered, uh, led him to believe that there are at least seven distinct entities haunting the place. Uh, In his mind, the foremost is her Baumeister, or at least, he says, something that likes to masquerade as her Baumeister, and it's not last we'll hear of that idea. Um, Also, five of his supposed victims, and finally, strangest of all, the elemental 
that supposedly stalks the forests out back. Now, the elemental Joe, <laughs> right? The elemental Joe thinks was drawn by the farm's negative energy put there by Baumeister's activities. He saw it himself several times during his tenure there. In fact, not far from where the legless red-shirted young man was spotted on multiple occasions along deer trails, uh, LeBlanc, uh, LeBlanc rather says, quote, if you get out there after dark when everything's still and quiet and you just stand there watching and waiting, often you'll see it. It's tall and thin. It moves in this weird way, too fast to be human, going from tree to tree. Now, unfortunately, I mean, let me just say, LeBlanc (laughs) has got balls of steel. I relate to this LeBlanc guy because, I mean, at some point, it's like you can be scared. And of course, you would be because it's fucking terrifying. But eventually you eat your way through to the other side and you get mad. You're like, this is my fucking house. And even if it's even if it's not my house, fuck you, Herb Baumeister. You're an asshole. Like, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, so you're going to you're going to try to figure out like. It's almost like, I feel like Joe almost felt like he had to kind of learn who the enemy was. So he got right. mad and he's like, I'm going to fucking go on this one. I'm going to look this shit up. I'm going to see what I can see. See, and I get that. But once you're like, let me just look at the forest to see what happens. I, mm, mm-mm. <laughs> Fuck the woods, am I right? Right. Um. So, well, unfortunately, conditions were less than ideal for a stake out in the woods that night, uh, it being November in Indiana and still kind of rainy. So Esta kind of shelved the elemental idea for the time being, but we will come back to it. At Joe's suggestion, the team staked out the pump room of the indoor pool instead. Now, this is interesting. So they they decided to conduct an EVP session and they had Joe kind of go around. And Joe said he'd done this several times himself when he was living there, when he was doing his own EVP stuff. Um, And he liked to straight up provoke her. He'd be like, come on, you fucking coward. What are you what are you doing? You're a fucking piece of shit. You killed these people and now you're stuck here. I'm glad you're fucking stuck. Like he would he would just do this shit. Well, while he was doing this in the pump room, which several things had happened, even Robert Graves himself, uh, who hadn't had very many experiences there except you know seeing a few things and occasionally hearing noises robert graves himself had a weird experience in the pump room a few years before when he was changing out a filter or something and and he saw the door behind him was open and he uh, a shadow passed across it and he looked behind him and there was no one there and there was no one anywhere near when he came out that could have possibly done it and then he felt something touch him so the pump room, uh, and we'll get to why the pump room may be haunted in a little bit. But so there, that night, on the second night of this investigation, Joe LeBlanc is sitting there in the pump room and he's like, fuck you, Joe. Fuck you. Or no, fuck <laughs> you. He's like, fuck you, Herb. Fuck you, Herb. <laughs> fuck and, you myself. And Wait. Richard Estep and the gang are like, I wish you wouldn't do that because that can sometimes not go well. But hey, it may get, it may get results. Well, indeed it did. Um, First of all, the EMF meters started going fucking haywire, and they were careful to do a baseline reading beforehand to make sure to account for sockets and things. They're in a pump room, after all, but they still spiked way in excess of what you would expect. And 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 in uh, in time with Joe's outbursts, which is interesting. The odds of that being coincidental are pretty low. Uh, uh, Esteb himself felt a cold hand brush against his tricep. Aaron felt two fingers jab her sharply in the back. Sean uh, felt the same thing a little later in the locker room himself. The fingers, well, the jabbing is kind of going to become a motif from here on out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And while uh, Sean was in the locker room, like around the time that he felt the jab a few, a little later, uh, um, and the locker room is just on the other side of the pool from the pump room, I believe, uh, 
he heard a voice like fucking like say something. He couldn't make it out, but whatever it was sounded angry and like growly. And so mm. he was like, oh shit, fuck that. Well, another team member named Arthur, who was in the bathroom uh, next to the locker room at the time, heard Sean uh, react to it, but he also heard the other voice. And he was like, yeah, it sounded like you guys were having an argument and I thought you were in there with someone else. And he came to look because he was like, something was up and it was just Sean having a conversation with nothing. Um, oh. Meanwhile, the EVP session is going on with Joe LeBlanc, and at one point, they caught a very obvious growl <gasps> on the tape that they heard while it happened. They heard it in real time, and they Ooh. also heard it back on the playback, and they were like, oh, okay. Um, also, later that night, just as a kind of an aside, uh, one team member was randomly reciting the Lord's Prayer near the bar area of the pool, and while they were doing that, three very loud, sharp, thuds echoed from overhead and people heard him all over the house. So that was the second night. Night three, Estep himself decided to go into the pool to try to provoke Herb because he was like, you know, I, and, and he, he, it's a really beautiful chapter in the book where he describes kind of relating to the young men that must have lost their lives there and how his heart just really bled for them. And he hoped that they weren't still hanging around, but that it was just the energy of their passing that had kind of collected in this place rather than their souls or their consciousnesses or whatever. Um, and nothing, you know, he was trying to do similar things where they're trying to get an EVP or whatever. Well, it just so happened that when they were viewing the video footage later, a male voice at one point can clearly be heard saying, Laura, which is the name of Richard Estep's wife. Oh. Yeah. Um, now, 18 months later, that was the end of their investigation. They had they, they, uh, their first investigation. And 18 months later, Estep would return to Fox Hollow with a somewhat new team. Now, in the time, in the interim, Estep had conducted more research on Fox Hollow Farm and found that the prevailing belief uh, among the paranormal community is that neither her Baumeister nor his victims are behind the hauntings. Many people believe that something completely inhuman resides on the estate, feeding off of the dark history and manifesting itself in ways that play to audience expectations, if you like. Which <laughs> Why is, not both? It, well, what's interesting about this is it makes me, it puts me in mind of Madame Blavatsky, the founder of Theosophy, who was a well-known spiritualist and, and uh, not spiritualist, rather. She was, she was kind of her own breed of spiritualist who ran afoul of the spiritualist movement because, as we know, the spiritualists believed that it was possible to communicate with the souls of departed loved ones. Madame Blavatsky and her ilk felt that, no, 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 the departed ones have moved on, but there are inhuman spirits that hang out on this plane that love to pretend to be our departed loved ones, and they just like to fucking entertain themselves by fucking with us. Um, yeah. She caught a lot of flack for that, even among the spiritualists who she was kind of, you know, in league with. They were like, no, it's bullshit. You know, so it's, it is quite possible. So the prevailing belief among uh, those, at least the local paranormal community in uh, Westfield, Indiana, and its surrounding environments, they believe that, you know, that Herb has moved on and that the, the victims have moved on. And instead, it's something inhuman that is kind of taking the shape of, that's haunting, it's, you know, that's playing a role, as it were, because it's it's feeding off the energy. Um, so that was just a little bit of history that 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 uh, uh, Step found in addition to what he already knew about the place before going back a little over a year later. Now, uh, this time, Estep would be given access to the apartment above the garage, and our old friend Joe LeBlanc would come back to join him. Look at now, Joe. Yeah. Uh, a local Man. Catholic... <laughs> I, do, I like the guy. I just like the guy. Now, a local Catholic just priest... Just like that he's like, yeah, I'll come back. 
He's like, fuck yeah, Will. Well, he just felt there was unfinished business and he wanted to do his part to try to help whatever it was move on and, and to yeah. also, you know, put Herb in his fucking place. Um, <laughs> now, a local Catholic priest and psychic turned paranormal investigator himself, a guy named Stephen Wagner, talked to Estep ahead of time and said that Fox Hollow Farm had uh, calmed down significantly in the interim since the last investigation. He, uh, Stephen, also felt that the source of the haunting was something inhuman in the woods. This entity, for reasons known only to itself, liked to impersonate Herb Baumann. There might have been a few earthbound human spirits on the property as well, but of this, Stephen couldn't be sure since their impression was relatively faint. Robert Graves had consulted a Native American shaman who told him that the entity in the woods was indeed there, and it resembled a giant frog, like something out of a Lovecraft story. Uh, we'll come back to that theme in a moment. Anyway, so Estep's uh, new team started this investigation in the woods out back. Nothing really much happened, so they moved in on the pool area again in the locker room where several team members felt this kind of oppressive, menacing presence. Um, the session was quick, so they went on to the pump room. And while conducting an EVP session in the pump room again, one of the investigators asked, we've heard that a non-human entity may be present in this location. Is that true? The question was immediately answered by a blood-curdling screech from inside the house. While heard in real time, the sound came out clearly in playback as well. And they were fucking out of their minds. They was like, what the fuck was that? Could it have been an owl from outside? Could it have been this? And they they felt very strongly that both in the recording and in their own hearing that it sounded like it was coming from inside the house, not outside. It was just too present. It was too resonant. And there were eek. certain acoustic qualities Hashtag to it. Hashtag eek. <laughs> but this is what they came for. Um <laughs> As I said, Joe LeBlanc joined the investigation again, and, and rather than focus on the pool area with him as they'd done the first time, the team availed themselves of their access to the apartment above the garage, where Joe had experienced the bulk of of his happenings there. Now, Robert Graves that's is the one of the that's where the person ran from behind him. Yes, yes. As he was looking at the uh, that's one of the, the scariest images. To oh me. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it might it might be shunted down to second place before we're done. Um, okay. Now, Robert Graves' son had moved into the apartment after Joe left, as I told you. And while he didn't experience quite the level of activity that Joe had, he did frequently hear knocking at the door many nights, always around 1.45 a.m. Now, so this is what they did this night. They, they, they were using in the apartment. They decided to get Joe to do something similar that he'd done in the pump room in the previous investigation. Uh, but they, this time they were still like, don't try not to provoke it too much. You know, we don't want you to be hurt. And the same thing seemed to be, it's capable of pushing people and jabbing them in the back with fingers. So maybe whatever. And Joe was like, yeah, yeah. So he tried to calm down. But they were going to use uh, an SLS camera, which is the one, uh, it's uh, kind of got some thermal ending. It's, it's um, I'm not quite sure the, the, uh, the technology of it because I'm not te technologically inclined, but it's the one you see frequently on uh, ghost hunting shows where uh, it will try to find a shape and it will be like okay we sense a figure there and it'll make a little stick figure outline oh like uh like on a um on an uh playstation like a, your, yeah 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 exactly when you're setting up your uh what it starts with a k i can't remember what it's called uh, yeah a kinetic 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 something uh, connect connect, connect. Yes. Yes. yes yes very much like that if not exactly like that and yeah. so they were using that when i've so seen videos of people who were setting up their connect be like who is it connecting to? Because nobody's standing in order. So, yeah, same or thing. Or are I gotcha. they? Yeah. So they decided to do that, and they were focused on, they had Joe go into the little kitchenette of the apartment, which is where some he'd experienced some things. And uh, they had, so they had the SLL 
uh, the SLS camera trained on the kitchenette. And while Joe was saying there, of course, the figure outline uh, thing saw him. You know, it was, you know, he, he was visible in the SL, uh, in the camera, as you'd expect. But after a few moments, another figure appeared. This time it was a lot smaller, but it was clearly about the size of a toddler. And it first appeared down the hallway and then dashed forward until it was standing right next to Joe on his on mm. his right. Uh, at that time, Joe could feel something touching his hand. At the same time, something jabbed him in the back with two fingers, knocking him backward. Or, excuse me, knocking him forward. Um, now, no sooner had this happened, and of course they caught all this on film, no sooner had this happened than a local psychic who Joe knew phoned him out of the blue to tell him something was prowling the Fox Hollow Farm that night that was very curious about what he and the investigators were up to. Now, Joe swears this guy did not know he was there that night and hadn't known anything. He was just really in tune, and he was like, I should call Joe because something tells me he's going to have an experience that night. And so it would happen within moments of this incident that his phone wow. rang. So even if the guy had known, the odds of him calling right at that time seem a little dodgy. And I could see if it were like Joe just playing a part. Cool. He's, he could say to the guy ahead of time, you know, let, let's be skeptical for a moment. He could say to his psychic friend ahead of time, you know, look, around like, say, midnight, I'm going to like pretend to like have an incident and just call me at that moment and it'll be really freaky. But, and you can, and sure, he could orchestrate that, but the fact that it just happened to align with this anomaly in the SLS camera uh, suggests otherwise. So I, yeah. I, I tend to give it a little more credence than we might suspect. And I guess we also have to remember, Joe is not the only person to experience stuff there. Other members of the team were having similar experiences and would compare notes later and be like, oh, you were poked in the back. Oh, so was I, you know, and they'd have their notes mm -hmm. written in real time to show that they weren't just making it up after hearing the other person's experience. Um, so anyway, the next night, the team spent some time focused on the uh, ensuite bathrooms in the master bedroom where the Graves had experienced a number of odd occurrences over the years. In fact, Vicky Graves herself tended to avoid her own bathroom like the plague. She just said that something in there made her feel unwelcome. Well, one member of the team uh, trying to conduct an EVP session there felt an unaccountable burst of cold air uh, kind of rush over her. Several others saw a white cat slinking into the bedroom. Uh, and again, outside on the lawn, despite no such cat being part of the Grave family household. Uh, though Vicky said later, oh, yeah, people see that white cat all the time. We have no idea what that's about. We don't have a white cat. <laughs> um, they also heard the sound of footsteps creaking across the floor in the master bedroom, uh, echoing time and again throughout the night. Any time they would go into the ensuite bathroom to do some research. Now, next came the infamous changing room down in the indoor pool area where multiple people reported sensing a strong, malevolent presence over the years. One investigator so named... just to be... Sorry, mm -hmm. just yes, to be Yes, 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 yes. This is an indoor pool mm -hmm. with its own room for the pump. Uh-huh. And a locker room. Yes. And a changing room. Yes. This house it's is fancy. huge, Jamie. Mind it's you, this... very fancy. It's the house and the ground sold for $2.8 million dollars in okay. 2006. So like that gives you an idea. This is a big thing. And the, and the pool it's it's an Olympic pool. You know, right. it's a big fucking pool and it's just it's just crazy to think that someone having that in their home. I can't imagine the upkeep. Yeah. Um anyway, so they're going into the changing room, which is next to the locker room in the indoor pool area. 
And one investigator named Lisa, uh, she bolted through these saloon-style swinging doors uh, and uh, just to kind of go in there because she'd, she'd been told and she'd gotten feelings from this place before. But she's like, fuck it, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to do my job. And so she kind of busts through the doors and immediately felt her fight-or-flight response kick in. High gear. <laughs> now, in yeah. her mind, she felt something tell her to get the hell out now. And she listened to her instinct. So she, you know, she got the fuck out of there. Um, but not until she'd stood her ground for at least a little while uh, long enough to kind of be there and take a few deep breaths and then kind of go over and wash her hands in the sink just to be like, fuck you, I'll, I'll leave when I'm ready. Uh, but she said the whole time she felt this malevolent presence just bearing down on her and watching her. And to this day, even though she's a local psychic that was brought in on the team, so she's gone to the house numerous times and still does on occasion, she has never gone back in that room and doesn't even like to look that direction when she passes by it. <clears throat> And she is a brave woman. Uh, so uh, she would later tell Roger Estep, or excuse me, Richard Estep, that she strongly believed the presence in the locker room was her Baumeister's accomplice in the murders, who she thinks oh. died a long time ago. Now, Estep, unbeknownst to Lisa, had spoken with another psychic who also felt Herb had an accomplice. A horrible man the psychic referred to only as sounds like Joe. No relation to <laughs> Joe LeBlanc. <laughs> sounds, sounds like, like Joe, Joe, not is Joe. Now, now, I will say there is no proof that he had an accomplice, but uh, there is another serial killer that was active not long before uh, uh, Baumeister was kind of hitting his stride, if that's a, that's a horrible way of putting it. But, you know, um, there's a gentleman, not gentleman, fuck him. There's a monster <laughs> named Larry... <laughs> Larry Eiler, known as the Interstate Killer, is believed to have murdered about 20 young men and teenage boys between the years 1982 and 1984 in the Midwest, in this area where Herb would operate. Now, he died of AIDS-related complications while sitting on death row in the 90s. Some people believe he may have even been a mentor of sorts, even an accomplice of Herb Baumeister. They had very similar MOs, and it's some people just think it's a little too clean. Like, maybe, like, they, they hooked up and, like, you know... Uh, who knows? Uh, but it seems they tried that, to kill each other, and then it was like they were awkward like, for a little while. Why are we? While, why are like, we fighting? Yeah, <laughs> let's work together. You know, there's a novel by Poppy Z. Bright called Exquisite Corpse, where that exact thing happens, where the, these two different serial killers <laughs> with two different mos like try to kill each other and go like, "Why are we fighting?" <laughs> it's, <laughs> we could really like bring out the best in it. It's each a other. very, it's a very disturbing novel. Dark, um, dark, yeah, very dark. I read it in the '90s when I was very dark. Um, <laughs> when I was wearing like so much guy liner I couldn't even right so there are some <laughs> <laughs> when my hair was all the way down to my ass and I was you know <clears throat> I just walked around with a bible in my pocket a little a little pocket bible so I can get into you know uh, scripture quoting wars with anyone that thought I was evil uh, <laughs> God, I'm so I'm so glad the internet didn't exist then. Oh my God! Uh, so <laughs> I could never have outgrown those images of myself if they'd ever made it out. Um, okay, so anyway, so uh, about this whole idea of him having an accomplice. So some people believe that this Larry Eiler guy might have been an early mentor slash accomplice in in uh, Baumeister's early years serial killing, but other people believe that he had the psychic. One psychic believed that you know this guy that they only refer to as sounds like Joe, and I don't know. It's it's unclear why the psychic called him sounds like Joe. Whether he knows who it is and just doesn't want to say, or whether he's just gets he or she gets this impression that it's a it's a name that sounds like Joe, but ah. You know, psychics can be a little unreliable, but this yeah. idea that Baumeister was kind of set on this path by someone else will kind of come back to again. Some people think it might have been a demon that possessed him. 
But, so Lisa, the psychic I mentioned earlier, felt very strongly that the accomplice was around and that his spirit was in the changing room. And that accounted for why that changing room was so fucking full of evil and menace to everyone. Just about everyone that walked in there hated the fucking place. The only other room on the estate that gave Lisa uh, a similar feeling of dread was the closet in the mother-in-law's quarters, where, if you'll recall, is where Joe LeBlanc had seen the apparition of the terrified man running from behind him. That's the closet yeah. is where they, the only place the guy could have come from. Yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> I want to talk for a moment about a guy named Brian Saunders. Um, he uh, was a, kind of a shamanistic psychic, um, very... Very, very good. Unusually good. He first came to Roger uh, Graves's <laughs> attention because Roger was outside, or Robert, excuse me, was outside, uh, you know, raking leaves or doing some yard work. And this guy and his sister just kind of come up through the gate, which was open at the time, and were like, hey, uh, we basically we basically followed our psychic impressions here and something, we need to be here. And, and Roger was like, okay, you're fired. Robert was fucking, okay, you're crazy. But Robert proceeded to... to say a lot of information about uh, the Graves family that he could not have known, including mm -hmm. the, nick the nickname of one of his wife's deceased aunts. Um, <clears throat> so the guy seemed kind of real. And so uh, for this investigation that, that Epstein was invited to do, the second investigation, uh, Robert decided to also invite Brian Saunderson to be like, why don't you come here and talk to them a little bit because he's been on this estate a lot. And I want you to give him your impression of the place because he seemed to be really tapped into the more spiritual elements involved. Now, um, uh, lost my place, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> da, 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 da. So Brian Saunders likewise got the sense that something on the site liked to just pretend being her Baumeister. Um, he says it was created by all the energy here. It hangs out primarily in the apartment above the garage. It has some aspects of Herb's personality, Brian said, but it isn't actually him. His actions fed it, made it grow, and you have to be very careful in this place. Tapping into the energies that are here, even as a paranormal investigator, you may take some of it back home with you. It manifests as nightmares and feeling generally weird. You'd be wise to protect yourself. Saunders also believes Herb acted alone, though, and that his suicide was exactly that. Some people think that he might have been killed by his accomplice and whatever, uh, but... Saunders is like, nah, nah, he just killed himself. And, and you know, I've heard um, there's one guy in an interview that, that was one of the people that found Herb's body along the shores of, or along the, the shoreline of Lake Huron. And I have to say, I don't remember his name. I don't want to say it anyway, because I'm being critical of him and I don't want to be like, fuck that guy. But, you know, I, I get the feeling that he either just misremembers or he seems the type that want to add to that story because he's like, yeah, there was no gun there. So who killed him? Blah, 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 blah. But listening to the guy, he just pings my liar, liar, pants on fire yeah. radar. So I don't believe him. I mean, the most of the police reports and other witnesses are saying like, yeah, it's a suicide. So the idea that her Baumeister like killed himself in some kind of a cult ritual to, you know, whatever, or that he was killed by someone else just doesn't really hold water when you look at the actual police reports. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to Brian Saunders, the, the psychic. Who, if it was anyone... Though, if someone did kill him, mm -hmm. I hope it's his wife. That's all I, I got to say. I hope right. she was like, I cannot with this situation. <laughs> she, as I understand it, she has some pretty good alibis. Um, you know, she was also surrounded by police at the time because of the investigation going on at the farm. Uh, right, yeah. But anyway, so. But still, 
<laughs> in my so, movie. In, in, so Brian Saunders, <laughs> so Brian Saunders, uh, who in, in, in my movie, if this were Poltergeist, he is basically the little lady, the little psychic lady. This house is clean. That's it's. Oh that's, right. That's his role. Yes. That's his role. Yes. Um, this house is clean. Now he uh, he says that you know of course that he Herb acted alone in the killings and that his suicide was a suicide, not anything else. He also says that any psychic who claims to connect with Herb is either mistaken or lying because it is impossible. Possible, he says, for us to contact Herb. The magnitude of the evil things he did has put his spirit in a very specific place, one where he cannot be reached from this plane. And Saunders is adamant about that. He also well, that's made comforting. Right. So Saunders. In a way, yeah. yeah. So Saunders also maintains that the indoor pool is in fact a spiritual portal. Upon first setting foot in the room, he could see it for what it was. He described it as a purple and greenish energy portal right there under the water with human hands rising up out of it. And I could also hear their voices talking, he said. Now Joe LeBlanc is, Saunders maintains, a raw psychic himself with profound abilities, but no control over them yet. So Brian's take on LeBlanc's harrowing experience in the pool is that Joe simply got tangled up in the portal because he was inclined to. Uh, not mm. that he was attacked by her Baumeister's spirit, but that his, his abilities just kind of made him uh, <laughs> a, good, a, a, a good candidate for being sucked into that portal. Or of spirits Yikes. being like, hey, you, hey, you, hey, you. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, uh, Saunders was having this discussion with Estep uh, in the living room area of the house uh, and his team. A rush of cold air suddenly blew through the room. Estep described Saunders' eyes narrowing and he was watching in silence as the psychic ordered something he couldn't see to back the fuck off. On cue... The cold dissipated the minute Saunders said it. <laughs> Get it, Saunders. I, I really dig this guy. Um, now, as the team... That is called setting healthy boundaries. There's a lesson yes. there. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's no, very true. I just love trust. the idea of this guy being like, you've got to be very careful in this place. It's it's not a human entity. It's something that simply likes to pretend to be these these people that have passed on here. What it, whoa, what's that? Hey, you, fuck off. Anyway, as I was saying. <laughs> just, just be very careful. Just be very careful. Um, <laughs> now, as the team ascended to the apartment above the garage, Brian described two male figures he could see standing in the doorway. At that exact moment, a team member was poked in the back. Had anyone died in there? The team asked Brian. Oh, yes, he said. Uh, so Brian also told the team, Saunderson told them, like, look, you've got to take some pretty esoteric precautions, uh, before you leave, because otherwise you're going to take this shit with you. And so he did. He, so it's funny in the book, uh, Estep and his, uh, talks about like, I don't usually do this shit, but here I am like, you know, lighting candles <laughs> and burning sage and shit. He's like, I'm a man of science, but you know what? Fuck it. I've been here long enough. I should probably, you know, better safe than sorry. Um, <clears throat> But uh, anyway, so the team left a camera running in the pool area. Now, back at his hotel that night, Estep was awakened by a call from Vicki Graves, who wondered if the team was still in the house. When Richard informed her that they'd left two hours previously, she said, Oh, that's odd. I can hear someone messing with the patio door downstairs. Well, the next day, the team returned to find that one of the patio doors had been cracked open a little bit. Um... And but although none of their equipment had been touched, and this equipment is worth thousands of dollars, um, and right. not to say that there's a lot of expensive stuff in this home, being a mansion. So who, if it was a prowler, they took nothing. Um, uh, reviewing the video, the team could make out a metallic rattling sound around the time Vicky said she'd heard the patio door being messed with. Now other cameras that had been left on uh, auto throughout the night uh, also 
kept trying to focus on stuff that wasn't there. Oof. Interesting point. The following night, the next night of this of the second investigation, the team had a surprise guest that they'd invited. Tony Harris, the one that got away. <gasps> oh. Now, weirdly, Tony still often refers to Herb by his alias, Brian Smart. Now, and mm. he does this to set, he says, the kinder, gentler version of the man he loved apart from the vicious killer. Tony believes Baumeister may have even been the victim of demonic possession or at the very least had split personalities. Um, it's interesting when when Tony Harris now over the years Tony Harris began to open up about his experiences. We know he first talked about, you know, how he had just randomly seen this guy in a bar and just he was that Herb um, or Brian Smart as he would know him was looking at one of the missing posters of the guys uh, in some bar and and he just something about him made Tony uh, think I need to go talk to this guy. He's being a little too weird about that poster, and then he talked and just got an impression that that you know this guy knew more than it's what he agreed to going to ride. Well, later on, he said that, well, you know, I've come to find out that, you know, or even at that time that I have some psychic abilities. And so he said the first time he saw Herb, you know, here he is, this weird looking guy, you know, this, this middle-aged dude just having a drink and looking, just being really odd with this uh, missing poster on one of the pillars in this bar. And Herb said, for the first time in my life, I saw this guy's aura, but it had big holes in it which I'd, he's like Swiss cheese. He's like, I'd never seen that before and it freaked me the fuck out. And so something told me to go over and talk to this guy. There's something, something's off about him. So <laughs> that's that's what kind of led him to start talking to, Her, to Herb. Herb, <laughs> Herb. Uh, just talking <laughs> to Herbert. So as we recall, Herbert got, offered him a ride and he wanted to go out to my quote unquote boss's house out in the country and fool around. And Tony was like, sure. And he did. But what he would later say is that... Um, he thought there was someone else on the premise, specifically in the apartment above the garage when they got there, even though there was no one else supposedly there. He says, because when they pulled up outside the house, uh, apparently, and this is all according to Tony Harris, so we have to take it with a grain of salt, although, you know, I, I'm inclined to believe him on most of his points. Um, he said Herb pulled into the, gri- the driveway in such, uh, in such ways to kind of, he intentionally got his car, one tire in a divot so that the car was angled in a weird way so that the headlights would be flashing into the window of the apartment above the garage. And at that point, Herb seemed to wait. And then when nothing happened, he got fucking furious and started screaming about how you can't fucking rely on anybody, blah, 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 blah. And that was the first time that Tony saw nice, gentle Herb, weird, but gentle Herb become angry, kind of psychotic Herb. And it's, yeah. and Tony was like, I've just always had the feeling that there was someone in that garage apartment that was supposed to help him that fucking went off to their own thing that night and Herb was fucking and that might have been one of the only reasons Tony lived because Herb yeah. didn't have anyone to help him and that's Oof. again this is just according to Tony so and there's no other evidence to suggest it just Tony's story um but uh, uh, he said also while he was in that house that one night that he escaped with his life, one of the reasons he he knew to be on guard, well, first of all, he had just weird feelings about this guy to begin with, and some of his behavior was weird, and he knew he was here because he wanted to see how much this guy might have been involved in disappearances, which he just knew he had to be. But he said throughout the house, he kept catching glimpses of shadow people that would like tell him, don't go in here, don't do this, don't do this. And he specifically centered around the changing room, the locker room, where like he said, 
Herb kept trying to tell him to go. Like, hey, do you need to go to the bathroom? Do you want to change? Do you want to do this? What is? And something kept telling him, if you go in there, he or someone is going to kill you. And so yeah. he kept he kept not doing it. And it's interesting that in his mind, what was pinging that was the changing room. Mm. Um, now, uh, he felt a presence, he said, in the pump room. Uh, even at the time, and later people have felt the presence of what they, someone called Albert. Now, um, this is supposedly, supposedly, the presence of someone whom Herb shot after failing to strangle. Like, apparently he was a strapping, you know, muscular guy that would, you know, occasionally uh, be an escort or whatever. And, um, and that Herb tried to strangle him and he couldn't because he was too strong and instead had to take a gun out and shoot him and that he died in the pump room. Uh, and also that the pump room was thought, at least by some investigators, to have been a temporary storage unit for Herb's victims before he had a chance to move them out back. Uh, corroborating that theory is the fact that one afternoon, Robert Graves let his uh, kids have some friends over and a friend of his came over, brought his little girl and the little girl who was... Uh, tiny, tiny thing, probably three or four at the time, um, kept looking at the pump room door and saying, oh, the men are sleeping in there, Daddy. <gasps> ah! Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, ah! Mm-hmm. So uh, now Tony also believes in Sounds Like Joe, the the supposed evil presence that's the remnants of an accomplice Joe had, maybe even a mentor. And he he's in Tony's mind, uh, Tony Harris's mind, he sounds like Joe, uh, <laughs> SJ, uh, SLJ, <laughs> SLJ <laughs> thinks it's control of the elemental out back, but it's really the other way around. Um, now, I do want to point out one little interesting thing that is just my own what if. I don't think, I don't necessarily know it to be true. I'm not even pausing it as, as truth, just a possibility. When hearing and reading about all of Tony's, and there's a lot, there's a whole big chapter in the book dedicated to Tony Harris's impressions and talking about his psychic abilities and, and how he thinks that Herb was a split personality. Um, his insistence on talking about this sounds like Joe character. I mean, what if, what if, and I, again, I don't know, and it's probably not true, but what if this is all a game Tony is playing and it's his roundabout way of admitting that he was the accomplice and sounds like Joe is his alter ego, the way that oh. Brian Smart was Herb's, Herb, Herb's, Herb's, <laughs> Herb's Herb. alter ego. Um, it's yeah. just, it, it's interesting because he mentions, you know, uh, Herb as gentle as he was in, in his, in his normal everyday upright citizens, uh, persona, he did like to play with authorities uh, while this was going on. There's a there's video of him on the news bitching about a raccoon, a, a dead raccoon in the road that some uh, uh, city worker had painted a stripe over. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's on the local news going, this is ridiculous. You can't just leave dead things out in the road for people to find them. Like he's saying shit like in retrospect, it's like, oh, it's so cringe because you're yeah. like, he had dead things in his backyard at the time. Man. Um, well, you now, know what? I was now, yeah. when I, I what I thought you were gonna say mm-hmm. uh, was not that if Tony is the one, but what if because this is a couple of different mentions of that uh, Herbert yes. might have had multiple personalities. Right, right, right. And he did spend some time in an institution when he was younger for possible schizophrenia. Right. right. So what if it's like Fight Club and sounds yeah. like Joe? Is a different is, personality. Is like is Tyler Durden. It, well, maybe. And maybe. that's why when he show he got there and this other personality didn't show up to help him, maybe to take over. 
Like yeah. his job was to get the people there. Maybe. And then the maybe. other personality would take over and do the bad stuff. Well, you know, it's just so happens that Tibetans, uh, Tibetan Buddhists believe that, you know, that the whole reincarnation thing is more complicated than Westerners typically interpret it as. That in fact, we are, we are comprised of multiple consciousnesses. And after we die, they all go off on their own journeys <laughs> according to uh, their karma. So uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, it is interesting, though. I do find Tony to be a little difficult to believe in everything, but I, I do still feel like he's either dressing the story up to kind of to keep from implicating himself, or right. maybe, or maybe you know, or it could be he's implicating himself more than he was ever involved, just to try to be the hero. I don't know. Something about him just kind of rubs me the wrong way. But again, I've never met him. I've never even you know seen him talk on that one documentary he appears in for A and E. He's he's uh, you know he's he's. Uh, darkened out, Shrouded. you know, and, and his voice is changed, and he's under a pseudonym. So I have no idea. But to his, in his defense, Richard Estep, who in, by trade is a paramedic and thereby used to being lied to all the time, <laughs> yeah. um, says in the book repeatedly, he's like, I know that a lot of this is hard to believe and it's possible Tony's more involved than he's saying, but he's like, I, I don't feel Tony was lying to me. So take that for what it's worth. Now, on their last day, the team focused on the woods yet again, this time to dig up for human remains in a spot that Tony said he was getting a strong impression from. Now, thankfully, nothing was unearthed, despite hours of the team digging. But playing back the audio recording they had going at the time, they could clearly hear a low, terrifying voice telling them, get away from there. Now, these days, Estep says Fox Hollow Farm is relatively quiet. Perhaps the spirit of her Baumeister has at last completed some obscure form of redemption Tony Harris believes he was bound to. Perhaps the elemental in the woods is hibernating. Perhaps the sounds like Joe was has moved on or been overpowered by the forces of light. Who knows? But as we've covered a great deal of ground here, including the idea of split personalities, both here and in the hereafter, Estep's epilogue gives us a chilling glimpse into what sort of energy a person can bring away from such a place. Let me just leave you with this. Several colleagues in the paranormal investigative community report encountering Richard Estep's own doppelganger on other <gasps> sites he's investigated since Eek. his since his time at Fox Hollow Farm. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the oh completion of one of my favorite ever ghost stories. That's real good. Yeah. Michaela, thank you. Yeah. Oh, Michaela, Thank my dear. You. It was so much. So I was so engrossed. So yeah, engrossed. That is so good. That is such a good story. Oh my gosh. Um, do we need to take a little break before we? Yeah. Get to yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to. I want right. to refresh, and I'm excited to hear yours. So awesome. Okay. We'll be back. Little break. Hey, it's July, and you know what that means? <gasps> we have more chats coming up. More Discord chats for our Patreon. More Discord chats People, for our Patreons. Folks, patrons. 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 That's what it is. Uh, our, our patronus. Our, our patronus. Our, our, our patronuses. <laughs> um, <laughs> so our dates for that are the 14th is for the full Discord, and then the 28th will be their Phantasm tier uh, chats. They're, they've been really, really fun. We have a great time with them. So come yeah, with we questions. We get so many ideas. Stories. We get so many yes. ideas for the show while talking to you guys. So please, if you yeah. have some input or some uh, some notions about what we uh, should do with future episodes, that the chats are definitely when and where to let us yes. know. Yes, and we also have on the Discord, we have different sections 
for uh, if you have any recommendations about ghost stories, especially on that Phantasm tier, recommendations about titles. But we have tiers from a dollar all the way up to $20. There's a lot of options for you to help support us. This is our mm-hmm. commercial. We don't have any other commercials right now. We're trying to avoid that as long as possible. So uh, the, commercials the Patreon so is the way to make that happen. So if we would yes. love your support. Um, any support is appreciated. But if you are on, I believe it's the $8 and up tiers, you will be a part of the Discord. There's even a D&D game that's going on with listeners, which is really <laughs> so cool. cool. So it's a great community. If you guys are interested, um, definitely the Discord is a way to do that. But we appreciate any support that you can give us on that Patreon. Again, it's patreon.com slash intentions, um, or you can just Google and if you're on the fence about being a patron, just join us for the All Skate chat on the 14th and you'll get to see how cool the community that's is. That's for Discord. That's the, for Discord. Yeah, the Discord chat, right. Yeah, join us on the 14th, right? That's the 14th? Yeah, but only if you're Discord. Yeah, well, you have to be on Discord. But, right, that's what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> I got confused. I'm confusing myself. We love you guys. Join us on yeah. the 14th and the 20th. Check out the... Patreon. Uh, you can also find it at ghoulintentions.com. Thank you guys. We love it. Love you too. And we're back. We are. We are. I'm All ready. Right. I'm so ready for it. I don't even know what yours is, but I'm so ready I know. for it. It's been a secret. It hasn't been a secret. I just didn't tell you. It didn't come up. <laughs> it's a um, de facto secret. It is. Okay. So I was thinking about what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I thought about doing something in Texas. And uh, uh, one of the things that comes up all the time when you look at like Haunted Dallas specifically Mm. is Lake Highlands High School. And that is, if the girls lived with us, they would be going to Lake Highlands High School. So, (laughs) which in no way narrows down where I live, which I like. So, so, uh, I was like, well, that's interesting, and there's a lot of story there, so I might do Lake Highlands later, but it got me thinking about, like, there's got to be some really haunted high schools in the country, right? And, mm. you know, the world, really. And I looked at— I mean, just law of um, averages. Yeah. And one of—consistently, one of the most haunted high schools in the United States— is always on all of the lists is always El Paso High School. And oh. I was like, well, here I was looking for something kind of in Texas, kind of in that. So I'll take it. That's Texas. I like El Paso. It's fun. Uh, it's all the same color, which is tan, but it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I went into the research of El Paso High School. I thought I was going to find a bunch of bullshit, right? Stories that can't be backed up. Yeah, with any yeah. facts. Um, and it's not that I didn't find that, but I found m- way more than I thought I would. Oh, my. Way more. So oh let's get into it. Oh, my. my. Source, yes, let's do it. Yes. My sources are Wikipedia, of course, Seek Ghosts. It's a, it's a great blog. It's just a great blog with lots of ghost stories. Uh, an article on eight KTSM by Keegan Harsha and Andra Litton. An article on border design by historian Ken Hudnall, which is really funny because he's interviewed in that article on KTSM. They interview him. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, he has an article on border design. Um, He's an El Paso historian and author and perhaps the region's leading expert on tunnels, which we'll get into. 
Okay. I also use his book, Spirits of the Border, The History and Mystery of El Paso del Norte. El Paso del Norte. That's if I was actually Spanish, Spanish. But, uh, <laughs> El Paso. Um, <laughs> that's not appropriate at all. They're not. It's not Spanish, Spanish. Okay, so <laughs> built in 1916, El Paso High School is the oldest operating school in El Paso. Now, I was like, well, because I can't not. I'm like, well, what's the fucking most... The oldest in Texas, then, if it's not this El Paso school, 1916. Um, that is actually in New Braunfels. And that school was built in 1845. Ooh. But then I was like, well, what about the fucking country? What's the oldest one in the United States? And that one <laughs> is Boston Latin School in Boston, obviously. Uh, and it was built in 1635. God damn. I know. We All have things that hail. old here? Yes, we do, which is surprising. I didn't go into Europe because then I just would have been like, well, what about (laughs) the Middle East? What about (laughs) Africa? Where are the oldest schools everywhere? And that would have been the whole episode. So I stopped there. Okay. The Lady on the Hill, as El Paso is nicknamed, El Paso High School is nicknamed the Lady on the Hill. It sits on a mountainside at the foot of the Franklin Mountains overlooking the central portion of the city and its boundary with Juarez, which is in Mexico, of course. It's built in the Greco-Roman style, and it stands out prominently on the horizon, making it a unique landmark in El Paso. Hmm. Construction for the school cost about $500,000 in 1916. It's like a gazillion dollars by today's money. 42 gazillion dollars in today's money. <laughs> uh, inside the front entrance, the hallway that circles the rear of the large auditorium has coffered low ceilings and classical columns. FYI, not for Michael, of course, but for everybody else who doesn't know what coffer means. <laughs> that is, in architectural terms, coffer means indentation. So it's that thing where the ceiling, kind of upward indentations and, like, where things are put together are covered with framed beams. Mm. So you think about the box beams. It's usually in squares, octagons, uh, polygon shapes, um, usually white and beautiful, and it's very fancy. Uh, It has a tendency to bring the eye up and make the room look bigger and actually taller, even though you're uh, bringing something down from the ceiling. Anyway. I'm so proud of you for talking about architecture this in, yeah. in this much detail. Thank you, Jamie. You're, you're welcome. You're a great friend. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you got to think of it like a giant checkerboard, I guess, is the best way to yeah. think of it. Yeah. Uh, so um, it's very fancy. That's the main thing. As <laughs> fancy as hail. <laughs> yeah. The main corridor floor was of marble. The other hall floors were of quarter-sawed oak, and the classroom floors were made of hard maple. I think that's changed. There's carpeting like it is now. Looks like a high school if you walk down those hallways. Yeah. Um, but it maintains the entrance and stuff like that. Uh, most of the toilet and shower rooms at the time were finished in tile, marble, and porcelain. The ground floor is below street level. The second floor is at street level, and its two perpendicular wings connect at a 45-degree angle, so it kind of angles forward, uh, with a heavily decorated Corinthian porch pavilion situation. So you got the, like, terracotta pillars. Yeah, yeah. It's very fancy. That's so cool. It sounds beautiful. My house school was Um, not nearly as fancy. It's beautiful. And then right in front of it is Jones Stadium. So, like, the steps down out of the school lead directly into the stadium itself. 
And that stadium is Jones Stadium, which is named after the first assistant principal of the school, R. Randolph Jones, which makes me wonder, what did the principal do that it didn't get named after him? Uh, you know what I mean? Right. I just I mean, makes I get you suspicious. Wonder. I don't know. I, I'm just suspicious. It's a little, yeah. I get suspicious several times during <laughs> this story. Just so you know. I'm just a little suspicious. Okay. Yes. So uh, this stadium actually was one of the first major concrete stadiums built in the country. Oh, wow. And it was at El Paso High School. Uh, El Paso High School. On each side of the entrance steps are brick and terracotta trimmed bases holding cast iron candelabra. Above the front doors is a bronze tablet that bears the words, A cultivated mind is the genius of democracy. It is the only dictator that free men acknowledge and the only security that free men desire. Um, Mirabeau, Mirabeau B. Lamar. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's so a good name. in 1922, Ku Klux Klan board members elected boo. to change the I know, boo, we don't like them. Um, they elected to change the school's name to honor its Texas hero, Sam Houston, who was president of the Republic of Texas and the governor of Texas. However, uh, after El Paso became Sam Houston High for a year, the people were like, fuck this shit. And they voted <laughs> out the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, by February of 1923, they were all out. I mean, this is early. Right. Hey, it's just hey 1923, guys. Like ahead of their time. Hey guys, there's an um, election coming up in November. Yeah, right. <laughs> just to, just saying. Out. Just saying. Um, they were defeated at the local polls, and their presence in El Paso soon died out because they just said, "Nope, we're not going to handle it." Like, so on nice, November 17, nice. 1980, El Paso High officially became a historic landmark with a National Register of Historic Places. So it's going to be there for a while. Okay. Hmm, hmm. Like I said, El Paso is on, High is on a crap ton of lists about the most haunted high schools in the world. In fact, Mandatory.com has El Paso High listed as the scariest high school in America due to the hauntings. Ooh. But before we get into the hauntings, I want to talk a little bit about the tunnels of El Paso. Yes. Yes. It turns out El Paso is full of little secrets. And many of them are right beneath the feet of its citizens. Mm. According to historian Ken Hudnall, which is hard to say, <laughs> Hudnall. Uh, I'm going to say his name a lot, so <laughs> I'm just call him Ken. Let me just call him Ken. Ken H. Um, there are several hundred miles of tunnels. He yeah. claims El Paso once had upwards of 900 miles of secret pathways, Jesus. most of which dated back to the 1880s. Wow. Ken has said, I've had some tell me they've been out to Horizon City up into the Franklins. The gentleman who showed me the tunnel area has been to Mexico a number of times. Most of these tunnels have since been destroyed or filled in, but you can still find several entrances in some of the city's older buildings. One of the more notable entrances is located beneath the Turtle House Apartments. In what, in what is now Sunset Heights. According, and I don't know if there's still the Turtle House Apartments, but you know how apartments change pretty Sure, sure, so, sure. According to legend, people used to walk into this building in the 1800s and were never seen or heard from again. Hudnall Ken explains, the legend says there's a house on the other side of the river, of course the river being the Rio Grande. Right. <laughs> the Rio Grande. The Rio Grande. Uh, that also has the very unique turtle on the side of it, and the tunnel went directly there. 
He claims most of the tunnels were initially built to smuggle Chinese immigrants into the United States from Mexico. But as time went on, that changed. The tunnels later were used to transport alcohol during Prohibition and eventually drugs and Mexican immigrants. And that leads us to some of the most legendary tunnels in El Paso at the historic El Paso High School. Tunnel tours beneath El Paso High School help fund everything from graduations and proms to college scholarships and recently an alumni museum located next to the school Hmm. in what used to be the caretaker's home, I guess. Okay. Uh, You can watch videos of the tunnels under the school on YouTube. Now, concrete has been poured into the tunnels to seal them, but they'll take you to where the tunnel entrances are, and they do, um, of course— this is pre-corona, <laughs> but they'll probably right. do it again. Um, and they do like go- kind of ghost tours yeah. through, and you can see um, some memorabilia and stuff they have there. But um, there are videos online about it. Then uh, 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 apparently four of them once departed from El Paso High's basement while the other two left school grounds. So they were like just quick routes to different places. Mm. But, and this is fun, not everyone is convinced the tunnels even ever existed, which seems odd to me (laughs) because you can see that they did because they're in the school's basement. Well, some people (laughs) just, some people just can't be convinced of a thing. And who isn't convinced? Why, that would be Customs and Border Protection. They claim to know of only one tunnel, and that was found in 2010 and ran under the Rio Grande right next to the bridge, or right near the Bridge of Americas. They say it was a small tunnel, two by two, and ran 130 feet from Mexico all the way to the United States. And I guess we're supposed to believe that that's it. Yeah, it seems kind of strange. I mean, I... I, mm. Yeah. Now, do you think they're just? I'm not do you saying... think they just don't want to believe it because they're like, oh, we don't want to fucking have to put people in those tunnels to fucking patrol them. We don't have the funding, so let's just pretend it's not a thing <laughs> we have exist. to worry they're about. It's like people that feel, it's like people that pretend COVID's not real. Yeah. I don't want to wear masks. <laughs> therefore, it doesn't. No, 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 therefore, no, no, the no, virus doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> put all the masks in the tunnels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I'm far, far be it from me to say this is a conspiracy, but it seems like this is weird. I'm like, going to say it's not far from me. It's it's a, it's a fucking conspiracy. It's, we- it's just weird. There's like no if you way. know because you've seen them in the school and you know because of other places and this historian who's done this research on them and you're like, nah, we only know of one. I just feel like maybe we're not getting the whole truth. I feel like, you know, if there's going to be like a lot of historians that say, and there's if there's a lot of documentation and a lot of evidence to support, like, you know, uh, secondhand evidence to support these these tunnels existed, I'm going to take the word over historians over the word of, of a governmental department that's uh, underfunded and, yeah. and overworked right. <laughs> any yes. day. Because that's like, yeah. like, there's no tunnels. What are you talking about? I don't, don't, don't okay. stop Again, giving me more shit to I do. Just, I'm just a little suspicious. That's all. I mean, I'm a lot. I'm a lot suspicious. So the school is built in 1916, right? Mm -hmm. In 1918, we have World War I coming to an end. And along with that, 
part of the reason for the war, war ending was... The Spanish flu. The Spanish flu. Oh, everything old, everything old is new again. That's right. So uh, it, a lot of it came from soldiers coming home with it. Yeah, yeah. And there is a base in El Paso. So it hit everywhere hard, to be fair, but it also hit El Paso really, really hard. Uh, morgues and funeral homes were overloaded, so bodies began being stored in the sub-basement in El Paso High School. Oh. Yeah, there have been Ugh. numerous, on top of that, okay, so that, we know that. That's one of the most morbid beginnings, right? Mm. There have been numerous interior modifications designed to accommodate a growing studi body, student body and changing educational theories, right? Mm. Yeah. As a result, a number of the original classrooms and hallways are no more. They've completely reconstructed them. But there are stories that some of the modifications were done specifically because of spirits that seem to have an affinity for certain areas of the building. Hmm. The morgue is one of those areas. Uh, the sub-basement, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, since the days of its construction, paranormal events have taken place at the school, said Tobias Tovar, who was a math instructor at El Paso High School for over 20 years, I think 30. Mm -hmm. uh, sadly, Tovar passed away from cancer in, I think it was 2008, based mm. upon what I saw. Mm. Now, a lot of the stories that I've read come back to Tovar, who did several interviews regarding the school. In one video on YouTube that I watched, an employee of the school said he'd never seen anything in the seven or so years that he worked there. And he said he also thought that Tovar had a tendency to tell tall tales while he was drinking. So he said, mm. sometimes I just wonder, meh. Um, I mean, we're frequently book, drinking when we do this podcast. True. It doesn't mean exactly. what we say isn't true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in the book, Spirits of the Border, which is written by Ken Hudnall, the historian, Ken Hudnall, he talks about Tovnar a lot. He got he used him as a resource. Mm. He said he's very kind he very kindly took the time from his busy schedule to not only tell me the stories he had heard and been involved in, but also arranged for me to meet a number of other present and uh, former staff members uh, who had experienced unusual things while working at El Paso High. Okay. Well that gives it that gives it more credibility then, doesn't right. it? Right. Yeah, Ken goes on. Tovar is a classic example of what I referred to in the beginning of this chapter. He has had personal experience with the unknown while teaching at the school, but he is not a wild-eyed believer in ghosts and goblins. He is the skeptic's worst nightmare, a calm, dispassionate, analytical eyewitness to an impossible occurrence. Toby hmm. H. Tovar is a man well-versed in his chosen field. He graduated from the University of Texas at El Paso with a position as a mathematician with the National Aeronautical and Space Administration, NASA. I mean, <laughs> After, okay. NASA. I'm liking this After, guy. I'm liking, right. I'm liking our chances with this guy. Yeah. After several years of superior performance with the space agency, he found that his niche was as a teacher. Hmm. So... Let's get into for a few of those stories told by Tovar as well as other teachers, students, and employees of the Ooh. school. Apparently, in the winter of 2000, a group of teachers, including Tovar and then also students, were trapped at the school during a snowstorm. Of course, El Paso is not used to school to snow at all, even <laughs> no, less so. No, no, They're nowhere in Texas more not is, used to it except than maybe Dallas, Amarillo. Right? Like Amarillo might yeah. be a little more used to it, but like most of Texas is like, what the fuck is this white shit? Oh, wait, look at right. it. Oh, it's, it's, that's right. It's called snow. Shit. What do we do? 
Yeah, and at least we're we're more used to rain up in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Texas is huge. El Paso yeah. is, I believe, an eleven-hour drive, mm-hmm. a ten or eleven-hour drive from Dallas. Totally different. So, totally different, like landscape. Yeah. Very vastly different climate there mm-hmm. than, than up north. It's yeah, desert. it's desert. So uh, they're not used to snow. <laughs> so that, but much like Dallas, if they do get a little bit of snow, the whole city shuts down. So oh, it had yeah. started snowing that morning, <laughs> and whole city just done. Like we can't function. Everyone shelter um, in place. <laughs> yeah, we have four salt trucks. That's it. That's for the whole city. Um, and you know, El Paso doesn't have any. So basically, right. as it was snowing, people, a few people, got to school. The teachers and some students. They showed up early, but the snow kept coming. The roads got dangerous, and schools were canceled. These people were already there, and they couldn't leave because the roads oh, were too dangerous. Oh God. So, these teachers are fucking badasses. They were like, let's go exploring. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's a huge school, so I love the idea of like, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's That's cool. That's really cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And they started in the basement. Hashtag fuck a basement. At, yeah. At one point, several of the teachers crawled through a small opening in the wall, eventually coming to a brick wall that blocked the tunnel. The bricks were old, and the mortar between them was crumbling. But interestingly, it did appear as those those bricks were newer than the surrounding bricks in the area. Oh. So one of the teachers starts poking and pushing at the bricks to see what would happen. And some of the bricks gave way and revealed a rather large and dark cavity on the other side of the wall. Oh. Someone stuck their flashlight through it and found a sealed-off classroom. (sighs) There had been rumors of sealed-off classrooms up until this point, but nobody had ever found them. The room was small. It had antique desks and appeared uh, that appeared to be from around the time that the school was originally built. They described them as little house-on-the-prairie-type desks. What? Yeah, but the weirdest thing about the classroom... For their, from their perspective, mine is different, but from their perspective. Apart from it being fucking bricked off. Right. Uh, there were books open on the desk. <gasps> it was like the room was waiting for students to come back from lunch or something. There were even Baby Ruth candy bar wrappers on the uh, on the floor, but that had the five cents on them because they were five cents when they were first made. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then that's, five cents, that's so uh, five cents Coca-Cola bottles. That's so fucking creepy. Right. Also, five um, cents for a Coca-Cola? Jesus Christ. I know. Well, and okay, so the other thing, I, I was like, well, when did Baby Ruth, when was it created? And they, Baby, uh, or yeah, Baby Ruth candy bars came out in 1920. Hmm. So whatever this was, it had to have happened after 1920. Wow. Okay. Why would so, they, why did they break off a room without clearing any of this shit out? Like, it's like, they're like, oh, we got, was it, I mean... Could it have been, like, something to do with the Spanish flu? And they were like, ah, maybe something. It couldn't. It couldn't have been. Yeah, because the Spanish. Because those candy bars didn't come out until 1920. And the Spanish flu was in 1918. Yeah, but well. It could not have been that. Well, didn't the Spanish flu, and, and, and I, I, I mean, may be wrong, but the, the Spanish flu, like, it didn't, but... it came in several waves over a couple of years, right? But it still seems weird that a classroom would, like, why would they, that's just, un, that's still unusual. Like, why brick right. it off? It's just, that's, that's okay. weird. That's really weird. And then there was a racy love letter found in one of the, like, notebooks <laughs> that was on the desk. And it was written by a girl to a boy. 
And the woman was, at the time, a pretty prominent citizen in El Paso. <laughs> so she what? had to have been in her 70s or 80s, but... Right, but still. still what? Pretty crazy, yeah. What the fuck? They've sound, and then they found a second sealed-off classroom, but no one knows why they were sealed off. Nobody. And there's, I mean, it is a mystery why those rooms were sealed off. Nobody knows. They've asked the school. They've asked historians. Nobody has any idea why these classrooms what were sealed off. What the fuck? Now, my question is, why are there two classrooms in the basement of the school? I mean, is that like, is like the equivalent of... Like the 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 remedial classes, they're like, oh, let's put the that's what I so okay, the undesirables so what, go to yeah. learn. So anybody, oh. my thought is like, if there was some, you know how they, if you had a learning disability, yes, you had it. Like when I, I was, my mom had, when a I was growing stammer. up in the fucking eighties. I had a stammer and I had dyslexia, and so I was in special ed with people with a right. wide variety of uh, uh, of special needs, and they lumped us all together and put us in a fucking outbuilding that was not even attached yeah. to the goddamn school itself. It was on the other side of the fucking uh, recess playground, and it was we were completely separated from the rest mm-hmm. of the school. Yeah. So that so my first thought is wonder. like, yeah, that that is, oh man, that's so fucked. But still, why brick it off? And it looks with the yeah. book still being on the desk and the letter still being there, it it makes it, it look like they were like, everyone out, we're breaking this place up right the fuck now. It's like, yeah, and, and we're moving you upstairs maybe or something. But and why do without just, without taking desks out of there to reuse and books and shit? Like what what school has the money to be like? I oh, don't worry about all that stuff. Just brick it up, like. Yeah. That's fucking weird, Jamie. That's it's weird. so weird. And that really no weird. one knows that there's no records. There's no record of it. Now, I will say there's an event coming up that we're going to talk about that could explain why they wanted to bring the kids closer. Okay. But we'll get into that later. Okay. Okay. So, uh, and and to be clear that these room dis- these room discoveries have been verified by a number of people it is not just hearsay it took me a minute to find them but yeah they have been verified by other janitors by other you know by people who have seen them okay huh. so, That's so tovar weird. yeah tovar had a tendency to spend some saturdays and sundays at the school as well he knew he was the only one there. He would always let the school district's police know. And apparently, this is a pretty rare thing, um, but El Paso Independent School District has their own police department. So huh. they can arrest, they can detain, they can do all of the things that the police can do. They're not just like security for the school. Oh, wow. Okay. So huh. uh, he would let them know that he was there, that he was going to come in and ask if anybody was there so he would know to expect them. Um, he would enter the bu- building and then lock it immediately after he was inside the building. Hmm. Uh, while he was there, Knowing he was alone, he heard several times somebody whisper in his ear. Nobody's there. And he faced, his desk faced the door. So it's not like somebody could have come in and whispered and run away, you know. Right, yeah. Um, He also heard someone walking towards his classroom several times. But when he would go to the hallway to check, no one was there. Or he would see khaki pants turn the corner. Oh. Oh. So he called the police the the school police to say hey there's an intruder and they would report nothing had happened on any of the cameras they couldn't see anything there was no movement there was nothing and he could never find the person who went around the corner <laughs> yeah oh my god 
Uh, many other sections of the school are also haunted. Tovar shares another experience early in his teaching career, around 1980. Um, and this is probably, and I think he started teaching in 1977. So this is probably hmm. what stirred his interest uh, in, okay. in everything because <laughs> it's quite, it's quite impactful. Oh, yes. So Give it he to was me. coaching the eighth grade basketball team at okay. the time. During afternoon practice one day in the gym that was located below his classroom, I think it became the weight room, but I'm not sure if it still is, uh, two, there were two large heavy doors that led into the room. You know the kind. They have oh, the big yeah. the smash bar. blocks that, yeah, yeah. real crash heavy bar. metal that you have to really push. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. noisy as fuck. Very noisy. Um, they were having... Their rehe- you know, their rehearsal. Rehearsal. They were, the basketball team they were practicing. was rehearsing. They were rehearsing for the what spring show. Was like. <laughs> and they were like, let's let's talk about how we want this basketball to feel. Player 19, <laughs> you're stealing focus from players 23 and 87. <laughs> Imagine if that was coached that way. It would be a totally different game. Everybody would be, be listening. Uh, be much harder to score points. <laughs> yeah, right. But it would be fascinating to watch. There'd be so many emotions. Uh, okay, so anyway, those doors, just out of nowhere during practice, swung open violently and hit oh. the outer walls. That's oh. how big they hit. Now, at the time, they're like, maybe it's just a draft, like a freaky draft, even though it was a nice, warm, sunny day. There was nothing going on weather-wise. Uh-huh. Um so he shut the doors, locked the latches, and then put a heavy bench in front of them to keep that from happening again if another draft came through. Uh, then <laughs> they slammed open and threw those benches across the room. Damn. Yeah. They went flying. All the basketball players ran out, and he left so fast he didn't even turn the lights off. And they make kind of, in a couple of stories, they make a kind of a big deal about the, a lot of these eighth graders, if not all of them, were in some sort of gang. So they were, like, real hard, except <laughs> real scared of these ghosts. <laughs> so they do make that point. Um, yet another haunted area that has been closed off for years is a hallway with a stairway at the end. This staircase leads to a locked balcony. Hmm. It's said that a distraught girl jumped off the balcony there to her death in the 1970s. Some, of course, say it was because of a boy. There's always the girl that kills herself at a school because of a boy. Yeah. There's another story that she was a cheerleader whose um, boyfriend played football and he died on the field. And so she jumped off because she was so upset. Uh, mm. You know, those types of stories. Right, that are, right. Right. Pretty the consistent. Usuals. Pretty every, um, every, every high school has that urban legend, some variation on urban legend. And sometimes it's true. Sometimes um, it's true. Yeah. Course, but are these? But... Okay. The stairway is blocked by a door um, that's locked. Now, is that because somebody died or is that because the school is taking reasonable precautions and someone that they pay money to come in and say, you need, like your dad. <laughs> My dad <laughs> would come and be like, on this, door. this Some balcony serves no purpose. Balcony. Like someone's going to follow that back. You close those fucking doors. He's probably right, my exactly. dad's probably the one that told him to brick up those classrooms too. <laughs> <laughs> Get rid of these. These are Get rid dangerous. of these classrooms. Yeah. Um, Don't worry about the books. Just but, brick them up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think that a lot of the times with these stories, especially when it involves someone taking their own life, um, there's sometimes a warning of the school. Like, if you do that, you're going to be stuck here forever. 
And nobody wants to be stuck in high school forever. Oh, my God. Or nobody right? should want to be high, stuck in high school forever. <laughs> and I love uh, that those warnings always come from teachers who are like, trust us. You don't want to be stuck here. <laughs> um, but and according, and this is true, according to research between 2013 and 2015, the county where El Paso High is located had more su- suicides per capita than in anywhere else in the country oh. in, for the teenage range. Um, <sighs> I can't say it's accurate for the 1970s or previously, but it makes you wonder if that trend is what caused the story of a suicide to happen. Oh, uh, like to so be the story it, that's told. So you're saying like right. like it, when this trend was was high in the 2013s onward that it was like people were like started interpreting that other story right. as being or, a I mean 1980s, you or know, not, yeah. seemed to be a lot of the time when a lot of these stories started yeah. popping up, but it could just be that that's the only time that we I can find them online. Yeah. It was maybe, just something yeah. I was thinking like, you know, I think I believe a lot of these stories are, are warnings, right? A lot of the legends yeah. are warnings. Um, and it could be the case. That said, witnesses have seen strange mists and fogs in that particular hall. Others report seeing a gooey substance dripping from the ceiling. Ectoplasm. Could there be someone haunting it? Maybe. Well, Maybe the story's created someone. I, you know. It turns out that part of the story about the cheerleader was true. Oh, yeah? On November, yep. On November 10th, 1934, uh, Phoenix High School, I think, football player George Charles Lemons was playing on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was killed after breaking his neck during <gasps> the game. Oh. Yeah. And it is believed that his spirit actively haunts that football field and the and the um, field house. Damn. Yeah. Oh. So that's true. But there is no story about a girlfriend or a cheerleader. Hmm. Hmm. However, people do report seeing the spirit of a girl who appears to be in high school haunting the building. In fact, one of the most famous stories, and I think this is why it's at the top of all of the lists, one of the most famous stories about the hauntings at El Paso High is actually about a class picture taken in the school yearbook. Oh, you sent me this picture, didn't you? I texted you. So it's the classroom picture. I'm going to open it this up This yearbook now. is actually displayed in a case near the school's entrance. It is open to a page that shows a picture of the graduating class of 1985. It's not a huge class. It doesn't seem or it's just a portion of the class, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. All the students and teachers I've in got the it photo open. I'm, are I'm, in focus. I'm looking at it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All the everybody's in focus the? except for one girl towards oh, the front. Yeah, the in the white with the hair hanging down over her shoulders. Uh huh. And what is she wearing? Oh, she's wearing white. Yep. Yep. And, her oh, features and she looks, are noticeably blurrier than and, anyone around her. And she and looks. If you look, she looks out of proportion to the others. She looks. She does. So much she's smaller. Smaller and further away. Yeah. Weirdly. Yeah. And if you look, and, and just you can just Google El Paso High ghost picture, and it will come up. But if you look to the right, to, uh, on the second row, two in, uh-huh. that girl is looking at her. Wait, which girl? Which girl? Hang on, I don't wait. Which which one? Which one? Say again. Second row. Second row. Second row. Second from the right. Second from the right. I don't see anyone. She's wearing like there. a cardigan. I don't see her. Maybe hang on. Maybe she's. I guess it's a third oh, oh, oh. row. Wait, a third row. She's wearing a cardigan and she's got like, looks like a red collar poking yeah. out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She's, she's like one row behind. Yeah, she looks like she sees her. She, oh, she kind of, yeah. 
Yeah, she's yeah. facing that direction. So it's hard to tell. I, I can't really it's tell. It's hard what to that tell, one, and but, you know who knows. But the figure but, of that girl—that's a weird anomaly. Like it's just weird because one, she's faded, and she looks disproportionate to the others. She looks like mm-hmm. she looks further away, even though she's she's looks further away than anyone else standing in, on her on that same plane. Yeah. So that's this girl weird. is not a member of the graduating class. No one has been able to identify who she is. Well, and Many of the students in the photo have stated they don't recognize her. Well, and there's no one else in that row except the one next to her on her left in the in the yes. black with the white. She's, like she's wearing like a white satin belt or something and like a string of pearls or something and, and yeah. like a necklace. There's no one else in that row. So like there's nothing there. It makes me think there's nothing there to stand on. Yeah. Uh, That's Her weird. figure does not appear in the original negative for the photo. What? It's only in the printed yearbook photo. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, so that is up. one of the biggest ones because they believe that's the girl that haunts the building. Oh my goodness. And in another recent yearbook, an old photo taken in 1916 is displayed. So they found the negatives, oh. printed them out, Got and it was taken open. as the school was being built. In oh. this photo is a figure of a young woman in a white dress. That's the other one. Yeah, she's at the far left. In yeah. the corner, right? Looks like she's next to now, like some fencing right, or something. Yeah. It's you can't miss it. She's in there. Yeah. Uh again, no one knows who she is and why she's there. And it is kind of odd because it's definitely a picture of the whole school. Like just a, yeah, a the, picture of the school itself. Yeah, the, the entrance um, is centered. Like it's very Yeah. It's an yeah. architectural shot. It's not meant to be like it's not a portrait at all. Right. And yet here she is. And uh, she's not standing, I mean, she's she not facing the camera. She's just kinda off to the side. At, right. Which it could be a teacher off to the side that didn't know she was in the shot, except she's not in the negative either. What? And it is a woman in a white dress. In a white dress. <laughs> she looked, dark hair. I mean, she Her could. Her hair's cons- pulled up, though. Yeah. It, she could conceivably be a slightly older version of the girl in the picture. Uh, the the, year, yeah, the other no yearbook telling. picture. Who knows? It's weird. It's weird. It's, yeah. It is. They, oh, it's spooky. Spooky. It's oh. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So moving <laughs> so on, <laughs> Angelo Plechuda, who taught journalism at the school, had his own eerie encounter one night. He and a group of his students had stayed late at the school finishing the layout for the yearbook. Mm-hmm. He sent his students home around 9 p.m., but he stayed up until 11 p.m. to finish some loose ends. As he went to exit the school, he spotted a young teenage girl wearing 1940s-style blue chiffon dress in and she was standing in the red glow of the exit only sign, right? The exit sign. Yeah, well, not exit only, but exit sign. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's creepy. I thinking, can picture it, though. Oh, it's creepy. Right. Thinking that she was a student, he asked her, where she, what, what are you doing? You know, you need to leave. She didn't reply. He told her it was best for her to go home. And then she looked over at him with a very sad expression. He walked towards her but stopped when it dawned on him that she was transparent and she was not standing on the floor, but instead was hovering in midair. As he approached, she floated down the hall and disappeared into the darkness. Yes. Oh my God. That's, I want to have that experience. (laughs) I want to see a ghost that classic. Yeah, that's pretty classic. Uh, Coach Danny, McKillop and his track team also experienced some pretty compelling paranormal activity. It happened late one night in the 1980s after winning the state track championship in in Austin. As the members of his team put their gear away in the locker room, the coach had heard, he heard very specific sounds that led him to believe many other students were in the school. 
The problem was it was 2 a.m. <laughs> he heard a lot of footsteps rushing down the hall above him, headed in the direction of the school's auditorium. Hmm. He heard laughter and cheerleaders cheering. He heard a lot of voices singing the school's fight song. They're the Tigers, by the way. Huh. How cool Go of Tigers. the school to have an impromptu pep rally for their successful return, he thought. Yeah. yeah. So even if it was in the middle of the night, still pretty cool. <laughs> So he rushed to the second floor to find out what was going on, and the sounds that he had heard continued until he got closer to the auditorium's entrance doors. Then all the noises abruptly stopped. He checked the doors, and they were locked, and everything inside seemed to be dark and quiet. He quietly went to his office to retrieve his master key. Back in the locker room, he and his team heard the distinctive sounds of the tiger fight song as well as clapping and cheering. He told his team... Hold on. Okay. He told his team. To <laughs> Don't stay. do that to me. <laughs> no. I think uh I think someone woke up and um hit the door as oh, she okay. was walking by <laughs> from her nap. Um he checked the doors and they were locked. Oh wait, I already said that. Yes, yes, uh, uh, yes. Uh, sorry. Sorry. It did spook me a little. I'm gonna be honest. It was like a knocking, and it was like <laughs> Well, you're like right in the middle of the just, story and it's like, oh shit. It's a good part to be freaked out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um he told his team to stay there, right? They heard it, the fight song. He was like, stay here. I'm going to go check it out. Goes back to the second floor. Again, as he approached the auditorium, the sounds ceased. With the key, he entered the large room, searched the auditorium, but found no one. Later, he asked about it to see if anybody else had been in the school, and the team and him were the only ones there. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This oh. high school is so haunted that they do not have night c- custodians, despite the size of the school. Wow. These so workers like people refuse just be like, nope, to be fuck in it. the building after dark. Wow. About 9 p.m. It's that wow. they're like, we're out. Holy shit. But I love it. I love it. It makes you wonder who could some of these spirits be? Especially if we don't know of any cheerleader taking a flying leap off of a balcony, right? Right. Who are we talking about? Well. Who indeed? On Sunday night... In January 1930, 16-year-old Mary Frances Blair shot herself in the heart with her father's pistol. Oh. It's believed she was afraid she would fail her midterms that started the next morning. Now, this is my other suspicious red flag. Mm, mm. Her mother said that she went to get ready for bed. Uh, her daughter, went, Mary, went to go get ready for bed after a hard day studying. And we, when her mom went to check on her, she found her sitting in her bed shot through the heart. Apparently, the mom never heard her shoot herself. Okay. And apparently, she thought she would fail tests she had yet to take. Um, and so she killed I herself. I mean, you know, when you're a teenager, it, the, the damnedest things can feel like the end of the world. So, you know, it's it's. I don't find it unusual that someone, that some poor girl may have killed herself over a test she thought she was going to fail. However, shooting through the heart... Shooting through the heart, which is very... It's hard hard to do, especially unless you're familiar with a gun. It's hard to handle it that way. I mean, I mean, and who knows? I mean, she's a Texas girl, so maybe she was familiar with guns. But but, uh, what year was this again, whereabouts? 1930. Uh, Well, that's not on... Okay, it's not... It is not a very common thing for women to... To well, do guns it when they... may not, maybe not, but in that area, perhaps so, because of its proximity to a border. And in border towns, 
it's in Texas, at least in my experience, girls are raised a little tougher because the living is harder. Right. But still, over a test. But then if you the take schools, that into account, the, yeah, the living is harder. They're tougher. The living is harder. Exactly. So, so that doesn't quite that doesn't square with a do test. It? That's weird. But I mean, but the biggest red flag for me is that her mom didn't hear anything. Right. So, but I mean, it's not like there was a silencer on it. But if there was, right. But if there was a, if she, if she was in fact dead with a hole through her heart, what the fuck happened? Something shot her, if not herself. Right. So what did her right. take? Her mom did it. I don't know. I don't Why know. Her, that's but crazy. That's, the point is, whew. she died. Yeah. That's it's weird. just very suspicious, yeah. There's so many, like, like why would they do that? Why would they, why would in, they, in one story. <laughs> why would they break um, up a class room? Why would this girl be found? Why would she shoot her yeah. through the heart over yeah. a test and their mom not hear it? You know, oh, weird, weird. Because yeah. it's not like her mom would have been wearing headphones. Yeah, right? Exactly. There's just, anyway, uh, the following month, 15-year-old, I think it's Emma Rosa Kiefer, Hmm. Uh, took her life. Uh-huh. After writing a suicide note, she turned on the gas and drank poison. Good she Lord. seemed to be profoundly affected by Mary's death as well. She <sighs> talked about it a lot it to her friends. It happens. Um, yeah. It, it, mm. Yeah, again, if you know somebody, you're uh, at a higher percentage to do it as well, so please pay attention. Yes. If you do know somebody who has taken their own life, pay attention to your emotions and know mm-hmm. that you are more susceptible, so be aware. Get help. Um, Get help. Call the suicide yeah. prevention hotline, please. Yes. So during the same period of time, two basketball players died within two weeks of each other, and another student died from injuries suffered after a fall off the Mills Building Annex. Ugh. So that is five people in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And if the school was suffering and there were students below that were far away from the rest of the students, perhaps they wanted to bring them in. Bring them Maybe. closer to the rest of the student body so they didn't feel isolated or you oh, know, Maybe. Things. Maybe. If that many people were dying. You know, that's a lot of kids for one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Know, for just a, around the same time, yeah. Yeah, it still doesn't quite explain why everything in that classroom, why why the bricked away classrooms looked like they had been there. left there, yeah. as though they were like escorted out mid class and told to just leave their shit behind. Like they evacuated in a hurry, it seems, and then bricked it yeah. up. That's strange, but I mean, or but it could have just been too like. And I love the idea of these kinds of things happening that are so uh, minor, but they make it seem super suspicious. Suspicious, but the. You know, the custodian was told we're going to brick these walls up. Um, and they thought, oh, I'll just go ahead and brick it up. And they're and like, like, I got time now. I'll just go ahead and do it. Because <laughs> 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 I could totally see that happening. Yeah, I could see that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to have to clean up any of this trash. I'm not going to have to take any of these desks out. I'm just going to bring it up. Uh, but I mean, the, it's a mystery. Nobody knows. But I was just like, well, maybe that would it would be but why it, it probably but, is around. But another angle you know, to that mystery is, a good is time like period for that. You know, space at a school, especially if a school wants to grow, space is always at a premium. Why would you brick classrooms up? I mean, could see you changing a classroom into a storage place, but why brick it up? That just seems unusual to me. And I it does. wish I agree. I wish whoever it was the the prominent citizen who had been uh, who had written the love letter when she was a child. I wish they'd reached out to her and be like, do you remember anything about this class? Because clearly right. you were in it when they bricked it up. Yeah. But I don't, that's weird. That's so strange. It is very strange. Yeah. And there's two rooms. Two Why rooms. two rooms? You know, and it makes you think, did something happen to one of the kids down there? And they just wanted to 
cover it up or, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, or just leave yeah. the space because Maybe. there's I, no telling it's with so strange. I you just, know, religion being itself and, you know, yeah. especially you've got the combination of religion and magic mm-hmm. and Catholicism mm-hmm. in Texas mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's it's. Who knows? Maybe we don't know. maybe we they know. were teaching a lit class and they had just read The Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe and the teacher just took the demonstration too far. Too way too far, yeah. Just to deal with it. <laughs> um, so there is uh, uh, okay. So whether or not these particular spirits haunt the school is unknown, of course. Right. But it seems that several things are definitely existing on that property. Yeah. There is so much activity in this school, I cannot cover it all. Oh, Jesus. Computers turn on and off, books move around, plants fly across rooms, empty chairs creak as if someone's sitting down in them. <laughs> uh, the school is locked down at 9 p.m. usually, like I said. <laughs> the the uh, right. uh, custodians aren't going in there. <laughs> they used to house the custodians in the basement. There was like an apartment there for them. And mm. then they moved them to the house, and then I think they found a different location. But there's a lot. There's more than one custodian as well. Um, but one custodian even tells of an afternoon when a school, when school was out, that he passed. Oh, wait. Yeah. Wait, where was I? Oh, 9 p.m. The custodians don't go out at night. Yeah. But it doesn't stop reports coming in that lights on the fourth floor have been turned on. Oh. So the custodians will have to go in to see who turned the light on. Um, several bo- full-bodied apparitions have been seen sometimes when they go to that fourth floor. The fourth floor is one of the most haunted floors. That is where people have the most experiences. Wow. Um, and one of the custodians, like I was talking about, was in there in an afternoon. He was going through the school, and he saw a girl sitting in a room by herself. And he went to go tell her it was time to leave, and she disappeared. That girl was wearing a cheerleader outfit. Who? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's so great. I love all the connections. This is so good. (laughs) So I don't know who the cheerleader was. I don't know if she's been manifested by all of the stories happening there. We We don't know who she is, but she has been seen multiple times in a cheerleader uniform. Be excited. Be, be excited. Excited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's the story. Wow, <laughs> As much as so I could get in, in one episode wow. of El Paso High School and its many hauntings. If you want to read more and more about El Paso's hauntings, the book is great. It's, it's very engaging. Um, Spirits of the Border, The History and Mystery of El Paso del Norte. For, uh, for more stories, check that out. It's fantastic, though. It's oh, so great. That was great, Jamie. That's awesome. Yeah, I want to go visit I... this place now. Huh? I want to go visit the place now. Let's go. I know. Let's go. Once know. COVID yeah. is over. Really great. So I feel like, you know, if you have stories about your high school being haunted, yes. or if you went to El Paso High, please send us your stories if you have stories. Because I would love to hear them. Oh, my God. Um, please. Please, and, please, and please. share them with people. Uh, but, you know, maybe maybe we'll, you know, do some more high schools. We'll see. But it was, yeah. it was far, there was far more information than I thought I would be able to find. That's awesome. Really I love it. Oh, thank yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. So creepy. Ooh, so, good so stories. Creepy. Good stories. Yeah. Well, well, gosh, thank you guys for listening to us and uh, yes, joining us on this you. journey. I'm, I have some ideas of what my next topic is going to be. I'm thinking it's going <laughs> to be a, another scary as fuck one. Um, yeah. 
We've had two weeks with this one. I am still recovering. I'm still in. I'm, I'm still in the El Paso one. I'm just like, Ooh. <laughs> I know. Right? <sighs> I'm still. I'm still kind of at. But my heart's still at Fox Hollow Farms. It's hard to like. Yeah. I keep. I've, Do you think? I was telling Jack about it, and I told him it was Fox Hollow Farms, and he's like, No one. <laughs> and he's like, It's Fox Holler. Fox Holler. <laughs> No, Fox no, it's farms. Midwest. It's Fox Hollow. I know. Farm. Fox Hollow. Fox Hollow. Fox Hollow. Fox Hollow Farm. Yeah. Oh, you, oh, you, oh, you betcha. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you guys so, for listening. We yes. appreciate you sending your stories. Uh, we love to see them and read them, and, and we might pick one for the cold open, but uh, we definitely would like to get them on to ghosticles and stuff. What else? Absolutely. Well, are we anything else we've forgotten? We, we should tell them before we go? Uh, it's ghoulintentions.com is of where course. you submit. Yes. Um, on the main menu. Mm-hmm. And I don't think so. I think we have. We're good right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, guys. We love you. Stay yeah. safe. Stay sane. And, and remember... remember It's It's okay okay to to sleep sleep with with the the lights lights on. on.